everyone, and thank you for joining us, and welcome to another edition of the radio show that tells you what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. Bryce Payne and JB and I are joining me in the studio today. Hey, guys, how's it going? Great. Good morning, Carolina. Absolutely good morning. And for those of you who don't know, my name's Doug Ray, and I'm the founder and the Wealth Guardians. Our firm is a professional, independent firm working with pre-retirees and retirees in all areas of retirement and estate planning, including wealth management and preservation, asset protection, tax reduction, wealth transfer and distribution, as well as income planning. We are fiduciaries with a fiduciary duty, and we have offices in Charlotte and right here in the triad in Clemens. And we can be reached at 336-391-3409 or at our website at www.thewealthguardians.com. So again, welcome into the show today. Bryce, JB, and I look forward to spending the next 30 minutes with you and giving you some solid financial information that hopefully is going to help you make a difference in your retirement and estate planning. And hello, everyone. Again, welcome to the show today. Well, you've asked the questions, and now it is time for some answers. As you know, if you listen to the show once a month, we get to answer some great questions from listeners of the show. And we've got some very good and pertinent questions to answer, so let's go ahead and get started today. Our first question comes in from Andy, and Andy writes in. She goes, hello, Doug and Bryce. My husband and I were in our mid-50s, and we're in the process of building our retirement plan. We want to retire in about 10 years, and after all the recent news media and press coverage regarding Social Security being underfunded, we're very concerned that Social Security will not be around in 10 years, or our benefit will be much less than what is currently being projected. My question, should we be concerned or worried? Thank you, Andy. Well, hey, Andy, uh, super question, Mm -hmm. and it's common, a common one these days, and many people are concerned. As you said, there's been many reports about Social Security being in trouble, and this has been all over the news. So obviously, this causes many people to be concerned about Social Security either running out of money and the program ending or having to slash benefits to both current and future retirees. So the question is, are these concerns valid? Well, the reports about Social Security running into some funding issues are true. Currently, the system is fine, and it's still bringing in more money than it's paying out. However, it is estimated this will change in the next few years. At this point, the system will have to start dipping into reserves to continue to pay out benefits. If nothing is done to fix the funding issues, then it's estimated that by 2034, the reserves will all be used up. Now, there's a lot of reasons for these issues, but the main two reasons are demographics and longevity. Back in 1945, there was almost 42 workers for every one Social Security recipient. In 2015, that ratio was down to three workers to every one recipient. And by 2035, it's projected to be about two workers to every one recipient. How can this be? Well, after considering the fact that there's an estimated 10,000 people turning 65 every day between now and the year 2030, then you can really get to understand why this is a problem. Can you believe that? 10,000 baby boomers reaching 65 every single day for the next 12 years. Wow, you know, that certainly is incredible, Doug. Yeah, and, and obviously that will have a major impact on Social Security system. 
And when you throw in longevity factor, it can really cause a problem. People are living longer today than ever before. In the past, you know, Social Security didn't pay out very long. People didn't live a long time after retirement. But today, we got people collecting Social Security benefits for 30 years or more. Mm -hmm. So since Social Security was not built to handle these two main issues, some some things are going to have to be done and adjusted to save the system. So will the Social Security end benefits or cut them? I kind of doubt it. Seriously doubt it, in fact. People don't need to fear that it will be eliminated. However, there will be some changes, major changes made in order to keep the Social Security system around. In fact, Social Security made some changes a couple of years ago designed to reduce the amount of benefits being paid out. A couple of years ago, they eliminated the file and suspend strategy and the restricted application strategy. Both of these strategies were payout systems designed to help people maximize their benefits by collecting off their spouse's benefits while letting their own continue to grow, as well as doing several other different things. Social Security eliminated those options, which will help save the system going forward. However, it's going to hurt some of these people who would have benefited from those election strategies. Now, these strategies are still around for some people due to a grandfather clause, but this clause is getting very close to running out. So most people will not be able to use these two election options. Today, there's five main changes seriously being discussed and addressed regarding what needs to be done to change the system. The first one is to raise the full retirement age. Full retirement age is currently between 65 and 67, and it depends upon the year you were born. Another one is to raise the early retirement age or increase the penalty for taking early benefits. Right now, the earliest you can take Social Security benefits is 62. If you do turn it on early, it is a permanent reduction to benefits. Another option they're considering is reducing the cost of living increases. And then another option being discussed is to modify the benefit formula to reduce basic benefits. And finally, they're talking about possibly increasing the payroll taxes. So these five things are being discussed, and any one of these or a combination of these options is going to help save the Social Security system. Personally, I feel they'll raise the full retirement age. I don't think it's going to be 65 to 67 in the future. It might be pushed up to, say, 68 to 70 for people turning Social Security on. I also think they may raise the early retirement age. Instead of, say, 62, they might push it to 64 or something else. And, of course, I think they will probably raise payroll taxes, which will subject more of people's money to being paid into the Social Security system. Those are three things I think will happen in the course of the next five to ten years. I don't think they're going to cut anyone's benefits currently, and I definitely don't think they're going to end Social Security. So I don't think people who are on Social Security now or getting ready to retire and turn it on will have much to worry about. But I do think there will be changes in the future which have to be made based on updated demographics. So, hey, that was a great question. What's next, J.B.? All right, guys, our next question comes from Randolph, and Randolph writes in, he says, Hi, Doug and Bryce. You know, with this new tax code in place for 2018, I think I will probably be in the new 12% tax bracket. I don't think I will ever be in a lower bracket, so I would like to do some Roth conversions to maximize that tax bracket. 
Now, when I prepare my taxes next February, at that time, do I do a Roth conversion for the amount of room that I have left in the 12% tax bracket? And he says, thank you, Randolph. Well, Randolph, yet another great question. And I like that you're thinking ahead here. Uh, Good. Good job for you. Truth is, a lot of people should be doing this because just like you said, with this new tax code in place, many people are going to find themselves in that pretty low bracket for the time being, at least. I don't think most people out there actually believe tax rates will be going any lower than they are today. And this new tax code, we're already at one of the most historic lows of all time. With things such as Social Security that we just discussed, the national debt, a lot of trade and global issues going on, right now chances are taxes are going to be in a higher in the future than they are today. Well, Bryce, with that being said, take, trying to take advantage of the lower tax brackets is incredibly smart. In general, this is something that is a very smart idea. But Randolph, what you're trying to do isn't going to work. The reason for this is Roth conversions have to be done in the current tax year in order to count for that tax year. I think what you're thinking about is when you do your taxes in February or March, you still have time up until April 15th to be able to contribute to a Roth or a traditional IRA for the 2018 tax year. Unfortunately, Roth conversions don't have that same deadline. Roth conversions have a deadline of the end of the tax year for that tax year. (laughs) Yeah, different deadlines for different objectives do make it hard to keep up on all of it for sure. So Randolph, if you want to do what I think you're wanting to do, and we definitely agree with you that you, you should, what you need to do first is figure out how much room you'll have before the end of the year. Well, how do you do that? For our clients, we simply do what's called a preliminary tax return. This way, we can put down on paper where we think they'll be based on the incomes coming in for the year, the interest they've received, and the distributions they take. Basically, we do this preliminary tax return to try to get a good estimate of where they stand and to get a good idea of how much room they may have left in their brackets. The only way to do this is through these preliminary tax returns. And to make these moves correctly, you'll have to do this before the end of the year. Now, Doug, it would be great if the IRS allowed us to make our tax-efficient conversions up till tax filing deadline. That way you could make both your conversions and your contributions in April. But since the deadline is in December, we have to do the preliminary return in December to get the conversion amount calculated in time. And remember, you have to be careful if you have already turned your Social Security on because you will have to look at the Social Security taxation as well. That's true. A lot of times people say, well, Doug, my taxable income is $50,000 and 12% bracket goes to 77, so I've got $27,000 of room. Well, yeah and no. You do, but for those who have turned Social Security on, if you do have a conversion of $27,000, it will probably cause more of your Social Security to be taxed, which will lower the amount of room you have in that bracket. So you also have to do a Social Security tax calculation to determine how much room the Social Security will take up because it will lower the amount of room you have to do a conversion in. It's a two-step process, and it isn't just about doing a preliminary tax return. It's just have to do a preliminary Social Security calculation to figure out how much your Social Security will be taxed based on the conversion to know how much room you really have left over in that bracket. So it can be complex, It's a great idea, 
and I encourage it very, very much. All right, you are listening to the Wealth Guardians radio show, heard locally right here on 94.5 WPTI. We certainly appreciate you being with us. Remember, you can reach us at 336-391-3409 and visit the website at thewealthguardians.com. That's thewealthguardians.com. Stay tuned as we have more questions to get to. We'll be right back here on 94.5 WPTI. Welcome back to the Wealth Guardians radio show. We are right in the middle of our question and answer show, so let's continue. All right, guys, our next question comes up from Daniel. And Daniel has a question about health savings accounts or HSAs. He writes in, it says, Hi, Doug and Bryce. With the tax advantages of a HSA, should I prioritize this over my 401k plan? Please advise. Thanks, Daniel. Oh, thanks for sending in your question, Daniel. Uh, it is another good one. Uh, you know, HSAs are becoming more popular in recent years. But before I get to the answer, let me take a step back and explain what HSAs are for the many listeners out there who may not know. Okay. So HSAs can be used by someone with a high deductible health care plan, or what's called an HDHP. The minimum deductible to qualify for an HSA is 1350 for individuals and 2700 for families. Now, HSAs are pre-taxed, meaning you get a tax deduction for the amount you contribute to your HSA plan. Then the money can be drawn out tax-free as long as it's used to pay for your medical expenses. So that's the double whammy of tax benefits right there. It's a wonderful plan, tax deductible going in and tax-free coming out. But again, the money does have to be used for medical expenses. If not, you're going to pay penalties if you withdraw for non-medical expenses. However, after age 65, then at that point, you can withdraw the money so without any of those penalties. So, Doug, with these tremendous tax benefits in mind, should a person focus on HSAs over 401ks? You know, I myself, I'm somewhat torn on it. But how do you lean? Well, you know, the answer to that question is maybe. Uh, <laughs> let's take a look. Here are a couple of things to keep in mind about this. First, an HSA annual contribution limits are relatively low. They're $34.50 a year for a single person under 55. People should use this as a supplemental savings option, not something to replace their 401k, because obviously you can get more money into a 401k. That's true. Now, if you're married and, and you're over 55, then your HSA contributions can be uh, almost or more than double this, about $7,900 a year. Another factor, someone is on expensive medications, has chronic illness, is going to go to the doctor a lot, then they have high deductible health savings plans, they can be problematic. It might be more financially prudent in this situation to get on a different type of health care plan that will help pay for these things before your deductibles met. Typically, HSAs alongside many HDHPs only make sense if you're healthy have a general emergency fund stashed away, and if you don't, go to the doctor very often. When using an HSA, the client must keep very good records, receipts, to provide that that the money that they use was a true medical reason, so it's uh, not taxed. Bottom line, there's not a retirement savings account, but with the amount of medical expenses you may face in retirement, that certainly should be used in the right circumstance. I would say... They should not replace contributions to a 401k, but I think they should be part of a retirement plan. 
And you need to try to balance the right amount in each bucket to give you the most benefit. So in other words, you don't want to get too much money in an HSA because you may not be able to get it all out tax-free. But obviously, there's going to be health care expenses in retirement, so you definitely want to utilize them the best way possible. Now remember, I'm not a professional accountant. This is meant to be a high-level overview conversation, so also talk to a tax professional as well for more detailed information regarding your specifics. Okay, we got another question in. comes in from Cindy. And Cindy writes in, says, Dear Doug and Bryce, I have a question regarding how to avoid taking a required minimum distribution that I will have to take next year. I have a Roth 401k plan at work. Can I roll over my Roth 401k to a Roth IRA this year to avoid the RMD that must be taken next year? Thank you, Cindy. Hey, Cindy, that's another good question. And thanks again to sending it in. Yeah, it's the one that uh, most people overlook. Uh, Quickly, before I answer that question, just a reminder that required minimum distributions, or RMDs for short, basically come from a retirement rule that says you have to begin drawing money out of a pre-tax retirement account or a tax-free retirement account inside of a 401k once you reach age 70 and a half and every year after that. So most of the money is in a pre-tax retirement account, and Uncle Sam wants his money back for giving you a tax break along the way. Now, most people do not know that there are important differences between a Roth 401k and Roth IRAs when it comes to RMDs. One of the biggest benefits of an individual Roth IRA is they do not have an RMD requirement. This is a huge benefit as you can let this money continue to grow tax-free and then pass that money on to tax-free to your beneficiaries. However, a Roth 401k is different. They still grow money tax-free, but they do have RMD requirements. You must take RMDs from your Roth 401k during your lifetime. So many people do exactly what you're suggesting, and they roll their 401k over to their Roth IRA in the year before their first RMD is due. By doing so, they avoid RMDs from the Roth 401k during their lifetime. Now, the good news is you can still contribute to your Roth 401k at work. Doing a rollover does not close that account or prevent you from being able to take advantage of getting a large amount of money into a tax-free account. Remember, one of the biggest benefits of a Roth 401k is it allows you to put a lot of money in a tax-free account. And if you're over the age of 50, it's $24,500 for 2018. That's a lot of money to be able to contribute to an account. So if you have a good amount of money in your Roth 401k now, and you're getting ready to turn 70 and a half, and you don't want to be forced to take money out of that account, then you can roll any amount you want over to a Roth IRA with no tax consequences and no penalties. This way, your money will not be subject to an RMD, but your Roth 401k still remains open, and you can contribute to it anytime you want. Obviously, If you contribute, it's going to go forward. You'll have to take an RMD out of that money. But it could be a lot less taking out the RMD since you've moved the majority of your money out of that Roth 401k into your own Roth IRA. So it can be a good strategy. Great question, and I'd recommend that you do it. Yeah, it's good thinking. That's good to know. All right, we've got another great question, and this was sent in by Brent and Maggie. They write in, Dear Doug and Bryce, Both of us are 65 years old and semi-retired. 
We do some part-time jobs to generate some earned income so we can continue funding our retirement accounts. However, we also own a small business that sometimes takes a loss. Here's our question. If we take a loss on the small business that is more than the earned income we make from our part-time jobs, does that mean we cannot contribute to our IRAs? Thanks, Brent and Maggie. Yeah, okay. Hey, Brent and Maggie, thanks for your question. And your answer is no, it does not. If your Schedule C is showing a loss, that does not count against your wages as an employee and will not affect the amount you can contribute to an IRA based on those wages. And for those who don't know, as long as you've earned income, you are allowed to contribute to a traditional IRA or Roth IRA. And, of course, a lot of us do this. And so if you have a business that has a loss, it will not affect or eliminate that positive income. So the good news is, it's the answer that you like. You can still contribute. Well, guys, here's a follow-up question about contributing to a traditional or Roth IRA that often confuses people. Can you contribute for a non-employed spouse? Yeah, JB, that's, that is a good follow-up question, actually. And uh, it now does get confusing. Basically, on our last question, they wondered if they could contribute to their IRAs with their earned income. Mm-hmm. For this question, let's just say that in that situation, the husband was doing part-time work and making money, but the wife was not. So would he be allowed to contribute to both his and her retirement accounts? And the answer to this question is yes. As long as he has any earned income, he can split it up any way he chooses, up to the maximum, of course, for both him and his spouse. So let's put some numbers on this. Let's just say he has $10,000 earned income. If he is above age 50, he's allowed to contribute 6500 for his own plan and then 3500 to his spouse. Or he could do 5000 in each account or really, again, any combination he chooses. So, yeah, you are allowed to contribute to both spouses' retirement accounts if just one is working. And I know this can be confusing. Many times we run into this question and the person will say, I had no idea I was allowed to do that or I would have been doing it. So please remember that when you are talking about wanting to contribute money for a spouse, because it really can help maximize your retirement account. And again, in this situation, if he had made $10,000 and he thought he could only contribute $6,500 to his own retirement account, then he'd be losing his opportunity to put another $3,500 back for their retirement accounts. So just be aware, you can contribute for a non-working spouse. And, uh, you know, hopefully that was helpful for you. Good question. All right. Well, guys, it looks like we might have time for one more question, and it comes in from Randy. Randy writes in, Hi, Doug and Bryce. I am single. I have no dependents and have currently listed my estate as the beneficiary of my IRA accounts. I have a will that lists my relatives and percentages for them to inherit. Will this work, or do I need to name my relatives as beneficiaries on my IRA? Thank you, Randy. Hey, Randy. Thanks. That's an excellent question. Leaving IRA assets to an estate is usually not a good idea, especially for taxation purposes. That's because an estate doesn't have a life expectancy and therefore cannot be a designated beneficiary. Only designated beneficiaries can stretch post-death required minimum distributions over the remaining life expectancy. Since you have percentages for each beneficiary to inherit already listed in your will, you should simply consider naming those individuals directly as beneficiaries of your IRAs in the percentages you want them to inherit. Now, the reason you want to do this is because that money is taxable to your beneficiaries. We're talking about a pre-tax IRA. So depending on the amount of those dollars that could very well throw your beneficiaries into a high bracket because they'll have to add that to their own incomes the first year, many times when people inherit money from an IRA, They do not want to have to pay tax on the whole thing at once. 
So the good news is there's a retirement plan tax called the Inherited Stretch IRA. And once they inherit the money, as long as the beneficiary sets up an inherited IRA within a certain time period and titles it correctly, then that money is not fully taxable all at once. And when they can do this is simply take a required minimum distribution each year. They'll only have to pay tax on that RMD each year, which is very minimal. It also doesn't handcuff them. So if they need more money than the RMD, they can take out any amount they want to. So the nice thing about an inherited IRA is it puts them in control so they aren't forced to pay tax on the entire amount at once. And that's a very good thing. Well, guys, golly, the time went quick. We are out of time. I want to thank everyone for sending in these questions, and I apologize that we're not able to get to all the questions today that were submitted. But rest assured, I'll respond to them directly. As always, if you have a question that you'd like uh, my thoughts and Bryce's thoughts on, um, send them in to, to us. You know, all you have to do is mail them to Doug at TheWealthGuardians.com or Bryce at TheWealthGuardians.com. You can also call us at 336-391-3409 or reach us through our website at www.TheWealthGuardians.com. We appreciate you and we'll see you next week. The information provided is for educational purposes only and not intended as investment advice for any individual or entity. All information contained herein is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. The views presented today are those of Wealth Guardians and do not necessarily represent the views of the Alpha Star Capital Management. The opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not constitute financial, legal, or tax advice. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income refer only to fixed insurance products offered by Wealth Guardians. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Please consult your financial professional before executing any financial strategy. Investment advisory services offered through Alpha Star Capital Management, a registered investment advisor. Alpha Star and Wealth Guardians are independent entities.